0: Hey family, welcome to the Hands Up, Don't Shoot podcast, where I, your host, Ashley France Howell, Tell the stories of black victims of police brutality. Thanks for listening. Welcome to episode six. Today, I'll be telling you the stories of Shem Walker and Betty Jones. Shem Walker was born on March 18th, 1960 in Guyana, which is a Caribbean country in the northern part of South America. When he was 16, his family packed up and moved to Brooklyn, New York. And in 1983, at the age of 23, Shem enlisted in the army. So this story sort of hits home for me because Shem's story is very similar to my own father's story. He was also born in Guyana and his family picked up and relocated to Brooklyn, New York, and my father served as a Marine. So Shem was a cannon crew member in the Army, and cannon crew members are the ones who operate the howitzer cannons, and howitzer cannons are the ones that fire long-range projectiles. He served overseas and also with the 101st Airborne at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. In August of 1990, Shem was honorably discharged. While he was at Fort Campbell, Shem met a woman named Sandra Collins and later married her. He had two daughters from a previous relationship, And Sandra had two sons of her own from a previous relationship. And together they moved in and became a blended family. They ended up settling in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, after leaving Kentucky. In the years after the army, Shem worked for Pennsylvania Power and Light and then as a handyman. And in 1999, Shem turned to selling drugs There was one day he was introduced to a potential buyer by his mailman, but the buyer actually turned out to be undercover law enforcement, and Shem ended up selling the undercover officer drugs. He was arrested, but by 2001, nothing really had come of the case, but Shem was still in the system. We all know what happened on September eleventh, two 2001. And many people had really strong feelings about it, including Shem. So he tried re-enlisting with the Pennsylvania National Guard, but that drug case from two years prior was still looming over his head. And that prevented him from being able to serve again. So by 2004, which is five years after the initial incident, The case finally made it to court, and despite his pleas to the judge that he was a changed man, Shem was convicted and sentenced to three to seven years in prison. He served three years and was released in 2007. Two years later, on July eleventh, two 2009, Shem was visiting his mother at 370 Lafayette Avenue, in the Clinton Hill neighborhood in Brooklyn. His mother owned the building and family members said that Shem came to visit his mom at the building every weekend from Pennsylvania and he would take her to church and spend some time with her. So there was a drug house a few doors down from their family building and because of his history, Shem knew the consequences of selling and buying drugs. So he tried to do his best to keep his neighbors away from the drugs and the loiterers away from his family's building. And he wanted to make sure that his mom and his other family members were safe. So on that night of July eleventh, two 2009, Shem had just finished cooking dinner with his family. And he told his mom that he was going to go out and smoke a cigarette. And when he went outside, there was someone sitting on the stoop. So Shem figured it was probably just another person that was involved with the drug house, but it was actually an undercover officer that was working a buy and bust operation. But Shem didn't know this. And so Shem tried shooing him away, but the undercover officer refused to move. So what happens next is the police's version of events. It was reported that the officer didn't move when Shem tried shooing him away because he allegedly did not hear Shem. The officer had on headphones and was listening to police radio transmission. And again, this is the police's version of the events. So when the officer didn't move, Shem allegedly kicked the officer in the head, punched him, and then tried to grab his gun. Another undercover officer saw what was happening and jumped in to help. The first officer then pulled his gun out. And it was reported that Shem tried grabbing the gun, but the officer fired two shots. One of them hit Shem in the chest and Shem was taken to Brookdale University Hospital and Medical Center but shortly after arriving, he was pronounced dead. Shem was 49 years old. In the time after the shooting, very little progress was made. The undercover officer was never named or arrested for shooting Shem, and the councilwoman at the time, Letitia James, questioned residents the Sunday following the shooting. She said, quote, of everyone who was seated by their window that day no one not one heard the police officer identify himself as a police officer End quote. although she did say this came from the people she spoke to there were never any witnesses that officially came forward to help with the investigation she tried getting the district attorney or the New York state attorney general to conduct an independent investigation. She tried asking the mayor and the police commission to try to issue clear policies in the use of deadly force. And she also asked the city to review the citizens complaint review board. But it seems as though her request had fallen on deaf ears. One thing that I noticed some media outlets have done and still do when it comes to incidents like this is that they tend to focus on the negative aspects of the victim's life. I mean, I've seen it go as far as using mugshots of the victims and their deaths have nothing to do with whatever crime they may have committed to get that mugshot. And this was done to Shem so after his death a lot of the media focused on his previous drug charge more than they focused on what happened between him and the the police officer i don't know shem and i can't say whether or not he was actually a changed man but you could see and read that effort that he put in to try to keep the drugs away from his neighborhood there were no charges that were filed against the undercover cop. And again, um he's never named in anything, so we don't know who the police officer is. And even if they did want to bring up charges now, the statute of limitations for a manslaughter charge passed on July 18th, 2019. On July 14th, 2014, Which was nearly five years after Shem was shot to death. The city of New York decided to pay 2.25 million to Shem's widow, Sandra. And a spokeswoman for the New York City Law Department said, quote, this incident was a tragedy for the Walker family. We hope this settlement provides some measure of closure. End quote. And that family was the life and death of Shem Walker. Now I'm going to tell you the story of Betty Jones. Betty Ruth Jones, also known by her family as Betty Boo, was born in Memphis, Tennessee in 1955. She had six siblings and they formed a singing group called the Seven Bells. When Betty was a young child, her family moved to Illinois, and she attended Melody Grade School and Manly High School, both located in Chicago. She was raised as a Christian and spent most of her life in church. She had five children and nine grandchildren. Betty attended City Colleges of Chicago, where she became a certified nursing assistant. She was a member of Action Now Institute, which is a Chicago-based nonprofit, and Action Now Institute's mission is, quote, to educate, inspire, and engage community residents of Illinois low- and moderate-income communities to take a public stance on the issues that affect their neighborhoods, city, and state, end quote. In 2013, Betty began working at Alpha Baking Company Incorporated. She worked at one of the Chicago plants on the production team. And a year later in 2014, Betty was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She was able to have surgery to remove the cancer, but she had to stop working until her doctor said that it was okay to start back again. On December 26th, 2015 at around 4:30 in the morning, Officer Robert Rialmo and his partner Anthony Palermo were responding to a 911 call about a domestic disturbance. The apartment was on the 4700 block of West Erie Street in Chicago. Betty lived on the first floor, and her neighbor Quintonio Legrier, a Northern Illinois university student, was staying with his father on the second floor. Quintonio suffered from mental health issues and was having an episode when his father called the police from his bedroom where he had barricaded himself. He had also called Betty to ask her to be on the lookout for officers and to let them inside when they arrived. When officers Rialmo and Palermo arrived Betty started to open the door but one of her daughters named Leticia who was actually there with Betty she said that she was going to open the door for the police but Betty said quote I will open my own door end quote. she opened the door and pointed the officers to the second floor so, this next part, again, comes from the testimony of the police officers. According to Officer Rialmo, he was standing on the porch of the building, and Officer La Palermo was standing behind him on the left side. So, from what I understand, this apartment building is similar to what I'm assuming is maybe a duplex So there are only two families that live in the building. So Betty on the first floor and then her neighbors above her. Officer Rialmo stated that a few moments after they arrived, Quintonio came running down the stairs and charged at him with a bat. Officer Rialmo said that he was able to avoid getting hit by ducking out of the way. He then fired his weapon eight times. Quintonio was hit six times and Betty was standing directly behind Quintonio during this incident and she was shot one time in the chest. Leticia was still inside of the apartment when she heard the gunshots and she just assumed that they were coming from gang members in the neighborhood so Leticia went to go look for her mother to tell her to get down but when she got to the entrance of the building, she saw Betty lying on the ground. Letitia testified that she thought her mom had passed out, but then she realized that Betty had actually been shot. And So some sources say that one of the bullets went through Quintonio and hit Betty, but we don't know for sure. Quintonia was taken to a nearby hospital, but he was pronounced dead at 5.14 a.m., Officer Riomo admitted that he did not try to attempt to give Betty any medical help, even though she was still breathing. Betty was taken to Loretto Hospital, but unfortunately she was pronounced dead at 451. Betty was fifty-five years old. It was reported that because Officer Riomo feared for his life, he was justified in the shooting of Quintonio. And he was found not guilty of wrongful death. The police superintendent at the time, Eddie Johnson, had filed administrative charges against Officer Riomo for shooting Betty. The police board took a vote, and the count was a seven to zero in favor of firing Officer Riomo. He tried to appeal the decision, but it was denied, and his job was not reinstated. As usual, dealing with the death of a loved one is always difficult, and oftentimes money is a band-aid on a gaping wound. Betty's family sued the city of Chicago, and they were awarded a $16 million settlement. Betty was truly an innocent bystander who just wanted to help. Another member of Action Now Institute named Adeline Bracy said, quote, we lost another warrior. She was a willing participant to do her part, do her share, end quote. And that family was the life and death of Betty Jones. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook by searching for the Hands Up Don't Shoot Podcast group on Instagram at Hudspod. You can send me an email at hudspod at gmail dot com. And you can check out my website at www.hudspod.com. Remember, Hudspod is spelled H-U-D-S-P-O-D. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you get the latest episodes. And if you don't mind, leave me a five-star review. Stay safe, and I'll see you next week.